In that moment, I thought, this is it. This is what being a developer is all about, is helping someone who's been in a role for a really long time see a vision of herself at another level, and then being able to help that person get to that level. As a leader, when the people you lead are successful, that's when you're successful. I'm Rebecca Mutter, and this is Moments Move Us, a people-first podcast unlocking the power of meaningful moments by bringing you stories that inspire. At a young age, Cassandra Crow Jackson was told that she was a healer, and she found her strength in making people feel seen. As Chief Experience Officer at Sharp Healthcare, Cassandra works to build her team up so that they can be the best versions of themselves. In this episode, Cassandra shares her passion for what healthcare should really be about and how it all started for her in a hospital gift shop many years ago. As we jump into the conversation, that's the story that you'll hear first. I will tell you, when I was young, I wanted to be a candy striper. And this was a long time ago when they had candy stripers really doing what CNAs do now. And I was with a nurse or probably a nurse's aide, and I was like, oh my God, there's blood. And other bodily fluids. And she was like, maybe you're not cut out for this. Why don't you work in the gift shop? That was how I really got into healthcare. (laughs) But my first formal job was in uh, marketing and healthcare. And then I, I was able from that marketing space to launch into the world of patient family experience back then called service excellence. And that was where I really found my true niche and my true purpose and passion and calling really in healthcare, still in the healing aspect, but in a different way. Definitely. And did you find, I'm just curious, and I I don't know if this was uh, like a long time ago when you were in high school still, but when you started to work in the gift shop, what kind of experiences did you have there? And did any, do any like inform the work that you do today? Well, you know, it was, it was all about people still. And what I was, it wasn't even so much in the gift shop. From the gift shop, you had like a little magazine and book cart. And that's what I did. So I was the person who carried the books and the magazines to offer to people in the hospital to read. So I could do that, which was still, in a sense, it was very healing because it brought people a little bit of joy. So that was my gift of healing because my great grandmother always said I was a healer, which to me meant, you know, back in the day for a girl, there weren't a lot of girl role models as doctors. So it meant you were going to be a nurse. But uh, my squeamishness told me I probably wasn't going to be a nurse, but I could bring people joy and make them feel important. Why did your grandmother always say you were a healer? I don't even know, really. You know, she just said I, I had a, a gift of healing and making people feel seen, I guess, and, and important and whole. And maybe I was always taking care of my dolls or something. <laughs> I don't know. Well, making people feel seen and whole and important is, is definitely a gift of healing. So that makes a lot of sense. (laughs) When you think about now, we're in the end of 2021. Uh, This has been quite another year. We're still in the throes of the pandemic. How has your role shifted over time? And what are the things that have risen to the top of your list? So my role in the experience world it has always been so data-driven. Get the Press-Ganey scores up. Get the HCAP scores up. Scores, 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 scores. So one of the things that I hope doesn't shift back is 
that we have started to focus on people and connecting people, whether it be families to patients with, you know, with the visitation policies, or really now that strong focus on our employees and making sure they are whole and their well-being has become a major focus. And that, that human experience, peace, having risen to the top is maybe one of the best gifts of COVID from a healthcare business perspective, is that we are really focusing on people again, which is really what healthcare should have been about always. But somehow along the journey of these last 20 plus years, we've become more business minded and dollars focused. And so it's nice to kind of see that right now we're really focusing on connecting back to humanity. You know, we can look at connection between people and healthcare and the human experience in a couple different ways. If we look at it from the patient experience, visitation has changed so much in hospitals. And can you share a little bit about what you've seen in terms of improving the patient experience in light of safety measures that now are in place? I think probably one of the best and easiest things that we did, which has been a lesson again for healthcare, is when we couldn't have visitors, we were agile and nimble, which was a lesson for healthcare because healthcare tends to move slow. We have the consensus mentality where we have to have a hundred meetings before a decision is made. In that beginning stages, we couldn't do that. So the other piece of that was we were able to deploy technology rapidly. So we use some of those tools such as FaceTime and Google meetings, all sorts of things to be able to connect people quickly. And I'm happy to see that we're going to keep those pieces in place because not all family is right around the corner. The people that you need to keep you whole and keep you happy and make you heal better may very well be on the other side of the world. And so the fact that we can use technology to keep those connections happening are great. The roles that I see many organizations have put in place where you literally have a person whose responsibility it is to keep those connections happening. That was another blessing and lesson that came through because of COVID. And I think over time, a lot of those roles used to be part of of how we did healthcare, relationship-based care, patient-centered care. Those roles were there, but always in the cuts, they were the first to go. And now I think to the higher echelons, that importance of why those roles were there has kind of crystallized in terms of maybe that shouldn't be the first thing to get cut. And how important that is as part of healing. Exactly. And when it wasn't there and then we had to, you know, it was okay in the beginning of COVID when for whatever reason you had some extra uh, resources in terms of people who for whatever reason couldn't be on a unit anymore. But then when things began to subside and we pushed those people back onto their units, but that need was still there. The need to still connect people with families was still there. And it was like, well, you got to make this happen. And it was like, with what? We're down to bare bones here. And so then it was like, well, make sure that role, that position gets back in next year's budget, which was greeted with gratitude because we needed that. The other thing you shared was about like breaking down of silos, basically, to be able to get technology deployed in new ways. And when I think about the pandemic and what's sort of going on right now from a team member perspective and thinking about the parallel pandemic of burnout, 
how has the breaking down of those silos impacted team members on the front lines? I think in many ways it has helped build trust. Right now, everybody is just afraid, though. I think that the silo busting has helped. Unfortunately, I, I can see that we are starting to try to put those silos back. And it's a conscious effort to say we don't have to put them back. But somehow it's, it's just so woven into our fabric in healthcare that this team does that and this team does this. Even um, in my department, which is a relatively small department, it, it has been a conscious effort to say, no, we're not going to go back into that paradigm. We are a team of 12. And so there's no longer silos. Everybody will learn everybody's role. Not that you will be an expert at it, but you'll have an understanding and an appreciation of what each other has to do. And in a pinch, we should all be able to pinch hit and help each other because we are such a small team. I think the other piece of that is it has given us a richness. We do a, a big employee event every year called our all staff event. And this, and I had no idea because I'm, I'm relatively new in the role that the whole team had never been invited to that experience design excursion. And so this year, I remember saying to the employee who was leading that, that everybody was going and she was completely like taken aback, like, well, no, we don't invite everybody. We only invite certain people. And I was like, no, we invite everybody. We are a small team and everybody in the end and has to help with this event. So nothing for me without me. So we all go, everybody had to have an appreciation and an understanding of what we were trying to create. Well, the outcome of that was so phenomenal in terms of just the value of what it did for the team. I could not tell you how many people were so grateful. There were tears and it was just as simple as like, well, yeah, everybody goes. Earlier, you shared that your grandmother identified you really at a young age as a healer. And, and you said that maybe that was because you helped people feel seen. It's not lost on me that by inviting your entire team in that way, that it helped them to feel actually seen. I hadn't even thought about it that way, Rebecca, but truly it did. It made everybody feel seen and feel important and feel included. It just gave them an understanding of what that event was really all about. And I think in the end, when the event is finally culminated, I believe we'll get so many better ideas and people will understand what their role is and that they'll execute their role fully and differently and better. If we can do that in our team and other teams see that and it, it keeps morphing, we're going to have a whole kind of different culture. Because I have noticed that in that siloed sense, we have a we versus they, or we can do this, we can think it, and then we dispatch. And I am very much, all voices should be represented in a decision. So many of our teams, our advisory councils, I noticed when I came to our organization, were very top heavy. We had lots of hospital and system CEOs, but I didn't see many frontline leaders. So I have been slowly adding in frontline leaders, which has kind of been hard for me to do because everything has been closed down. So it's hard for me to connect with who are my thought leaders, who are my free thinkers, my 
my rebels who <laughs> wants to change the world. But those that I have identified or I've asked people, wow, who, who gets it in your organization? And we put them on teams and the richness of what we're getting and how just in this short year that I've been here, the amount of change that we've been able to mobilize, it's been profound. And it, it makes me feel good to know that it's not just a few voices making a difference. That's tremendous. You have spoken in the past about culture and inclusion. Can you share a little bit about how you help make sure your team feels that value and the connection that when they raise their voice, it's going to be heard? One of the things I have done is I I do my best to be transparent. And I've done that by saying, I don't have all the answers. I really don't. And I never want to make you think that because I am a leader, I have all the answers. And I consider that one of the worst leadership qualities because no one has all the answers. No one does. And it's a big burden on you to pretend you do have all the answers. And when I came, I said to my team, I don't have the answers. I'm really relying on you because you have been the ones doing the work. So I'm asking you, what did you do? What did you want to do differently? And now is your chance. My eyes are, are completely closed. Tell me what you want to do and how you can make it better. And I am here to help you remove the obstacles and the barriers to make that vision come true. The other thing I did, which you would think it happens everywhere, but it hadn't, was I shared the strategic plan, which was another simple gesture And I remember one of my employees said, wow, I've been here three years, and that's the first time I've seen the strategic plan. And I said that I believe everyone needs to see what we're working towards so you understand what your role is and what we're working towards. And so that when you have to build your SMART goals, they should be something that relates to that strategic vision, because otherwise you don't feel value in your work. And I don't want anyone to come here and feel that they are just moving the pieces. I want you to feel that you're really creating something powerful and something that is really going to make Sharp the great organization that it is. I think that really worked because I remember saying, I would like your SMART goals by such and such date. And I started getting SMART goals that weren't SMART goals. I remember one of them said, like, I want to rearrange the storage room. And to me, it was a nice thing to do. It was great to do, but it wasn't like something that was going to move the organization forward. And I remember saying to that individual who had asked me about a promotion and having this conversation with her about what would help me promote someone to a new level and a goal that would say, I'm promotable. And I said, would rearranging a closet be a promotable goal? Or would something like logistics for a great event be a promotable goal? And I remember she had tears and she she said, I've been here 20 years. I've never had a conversation about a SMART goal. And it, it was meaningful to me. I had tears almost because I thought, How sad is that, that this person could have probably been doing momentous things had someone just for once 
had a conversation about what do you want to do next? And let me help you get there by creating goals that will help you move yourself to that next level. It reminds me of what you said earlier around, you said, my eyes are closed. Tell me how to open them basically to your vision so I can help them come true. And then you talked about building that trust over the year. It sounds like one of the ways that you did that were having these conversations that were really authentic, kind of deeper conversations. Yes. And and I will tell you, she worked on those SMART goals. And then I asked her to tell me what that next position would look like. Write it out. Define it for me. Tell me what you would be doing. And then I said, and I'm going to challenge you to go to our job description bank, find something similar and write your job description. And she did. And I created that job description for her. And that is now her job. How empowering. Oh, you talk about the tears of joy. Those were real tears of joy. Cassandra, this show is about the quintessential sort of transformative moments that we experience. And one of the things that I've noticed from having these conversations is that it's not always the really huge moment that transforms a person's trajectory or opportunity, but rather it kind of lies in the smaller things. Can you share some moments that have been transformative for you along your leadership journey or with your team members? That was one of those moments because I've always considered myself a, one of my strengths is to be a developer. But in that moment, I thought, this is it. This is what being a developer is all about, is helping someone who's been in a role for a really long time see a vision of herself at another level. And then being able to help that person get to that level. That was, to me, a true moment of saying, I have really fulfilled what being a developer is really about. And that is exactly what she said. The note she wrote me said, you helped me feel valued and seen and heard. Because she said, I have been asking for this to get ahead. And they kept saying, I don't have what I need but no one ever told me what I need and how to get what I need. And so I really wanted to be able to do that. One powerful moment for me when someone really helped me feel seen was when I was a a new leader, my very first big role in a large healthcare system. I had a kind of boss that I knew after having worked for that individual, I never wanted to be that kind of boss. And that kind of boss leaves you a little shattered about your skills. And I was, I was hesitant and shaky. Skill wise, I knew what I had. I was good at what I did. I was just good at, at my job. But I remember I had gotten this really phenomenal thank you note from a family that I helped at the hospital. And my CEO was reading it at a meeting one day. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's really sweet of them to say that. And she said, oh, that's just one I chose to read. She says, I get these notes all the time. And she said, it amazes me how other people see you. I'm looking for the day when you see yourself that way. When you see yourself that way, you're going to be a phenomenal leader. And that was such a powerful transcendent moment for me because I thought, wow, I really do need to start seeing myself differently. 
to me, it was just like, oh, it's just my job. But when others see good in you, and I think sometimes as women, maybe we don't toot our own horns. And we should sometimes. I agree. And that is an incredibly powerful comment by your CEO at the time, because feeling seen is is one thing. And then knowing that's a reality of how you connect with others is another piece where it really allows you to kind of bring it in every conversation, in every moment. And you feel the value that you bring, not just on the other side of the street, so to speak. I wonder, Cassandra, you know, it is hard, I think, for women to sometimes feel the value uh, that we bring and be able to verbalize it. What are some things that you've seen in yourself as a female executive and also in female leaders that, that you've worked with that you think other aspiring female leaders can learn from? I think the days, Rebecca, when I can, when I am very cognizant of being fully present with people are my best days. And, and those aren't always there because some days you're just in motion. You have so much going and so many meetings and you're running back to back that you can't really be present because you're thinking of the next thing in the next meeting. But on those days when I can just exhale and slow down and sit and breathe and hold space for people and listen to what they have to say, at the end of the day, I feel so much better. And when I write my three things that I'm grateful for the day, those are always the best days because I feel that I've helped people. And for me, that's a personal high. But on those days when I'm harried and I, I just can't connect and I don't listen and I miss things or I say something in my harried state that I think, oh, God, I could have done that better. Those days aren't good. So I think it, when we can just slow down enough to be fully present with other people, the days are just better days. It's so hard to slow down when there are so many sort of competing priorities. And in healthcare today, it's never been harder to provide outstanding human experiences. How do you slow down and how do you tell team members and the organization to slow down? It's not easy. And I've had to ask Dawn and she is amazing. She literally builds time into my work week, just focus time, work time, you know, Outlook, or maybe it's our Microsoft system gives you this thing, I don't know what it's called. It's like uh, collaborative time and focus time. And you get this little ping if you don't have enough focus time in the week, <laughs> which means there are weeks that go by when I'm just in meeting, 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 meeting. And so she's kind of come back and put in chunks of time for me to work. And I love those chunks of time. Unfortunately, they tend to get eaten up by other people. But <laughs> I think you almost have to build in that time to slow down. I'm faithful about my thank you notes. So I do try to write at least five thank you notes every week, which means at least one person a day I find to give gratitude to during the week. You mentioned a couple of gratitude practices. You said that every day you look for three things that you're grateful for, and then you just share this other practice of thanking others. How is gratitude one of your sort of, it seems like it's one of your core values and how does it express itself in work? 
no leader is successful on his or her own accord. We're only successful because other people help us. And the only way you get good is to help to put good back into others. So even if it's something as simple as, you know what, thank you for letting that meeting end early because it gave me 15 minutes extra to do this, or thank you for the gift of time or whatever it is. Let people know how much they mean to you or that small gesture meant to you. And and it's so funny. And I this is how I think I have begun to realize we're all starved for it. How many times do you get a thank you card for your thank you card? Because we're, we're just starved for it. People are so shocked to be thanked that you get a thank you for your thank you card. That's a great point. <laughs> And then do you have to write a third thank you for the other thank I you card? I think I have, I've, I've learned to cut it off. <laughs> you have to cut it off at that point. Cassandra, one of the things that you had mentioned before was how you have transformed evaluations. Uh, and I was thinking about that because you were talking about how we need to really slow down to find time to reflect. And one of the things that we did at Wambi was we moved from a biannual review process to quarterly. And we've been talking about how important it is to be reflecting on your experience. And I even hear many times from my team, well, it takes so much time to do these reviews. And I hear that because it is hard when there's competing priorities, but it is so unbelievably important to pause and just kind of take it in. I know you had mentioned that you were doing some novel things around the evaluation process, especially in light of COVID and what the teams have been through. Can you share a little bit about how that's transformed? Yes. So this year, instead of the formal evaluation process, we did a time to reflect and connect. And we did it in conjunction with our all staff theme this year, compassion and courage. So rather than do our formal evaluation process, process, we had each leader check in with your staff one-on-one in a a short meeting, and you were asked to write a thank you, basically, on how you saw each individual display our behavior standards or our values, and then what you saw them do well throughout the year. And then we asked each team member to write to us what were the things they thought we could do better to support our commitment to the Sharp experience and to them as employees to help make it a better place to work. But I think what was so great was having those conversations with your employee about really just what you did good. Because there's nothing more, I think, discouraging than that once a year evaluation where you suddenly are told what you did wrong the whole year when you haven't had those conversations all year. And so we just hearing that what you what you did well. And it was like, oh my gosh. So there were so many oohs and ahs and and thank yous. And even with my own, with my CEO, and he's always a very affirming CEO, but he said, you have done so much this year. And he said, you came in with all these odds stacked against you and you just went right on. You were still innovative. You didn't let anything block you. And no matter what negative came your way, you just kept on smiling through it and came back with another plan. And I I thought that was just so nice and so affirming in a time when, you know, people were just at wit's end. Burnout was at an all-time high. We were in the middle of the great resignation. 
we had just had the, the vaccine mandate, which would have not been a great time to say, oh, and by the way, <laughs> let's do that evaluation and tell you what you didn't do well last year. And even the things that we heard in terms of what we could do better as an organization were really things that had already been mentioned in various meetings. But now it was almost like attestation from the front lines that, yeah, we need to work on these things. I think in healthcare, especially, we focus so much on what goes wrong just by nature of the way the model kind of we're taught to look for for any possible risk. And when things go wrong, it can mean death. So that's part of the reason why we're so risk adverse. I think it's interesting, though, to think about shifting the conversation to what's going well in certain areas. It's something I don't think that we do very well in a healthcare setting. But when you start to talk about what are all the things that are going well, and then ask leadership, like you've set up this time for like reflection and reconnection, where leaders are then being asked by the team member, what can we do better to help? Plus, we're stacking it on the positives. Now, all of a sudden, you have people that are going to show up feeling like, wow, I matter here. I'm, I'm valued. And not only that, my leader has my back to start to address some of the challenges that I come up against. Exactly. Well, Cassandra, this has been fantastic. Is there any final thought that you'd like to share with our listeners? I think if I could just say one word of encouragement, and that would be to just stay positive with people or stay present and positive, definitely. But whenever you can, if you can take that pause and just say, when someone is talking to you, am I present in that moment? Because you listen at a whole different level when you're present. And it's hard. Like you said, Rebecca, our minds are constantly wandering because we have so much going on in the world, especially right now. But it really does change it, an interaction when you can be present with someone. It does make the moments matter. So well said, Cassandra. Love it. Well, now we're going to jump over to our final section of our conversation today, and we're going to take a beat. And I'm going to ask you a couple of questions in a quick speed round so that our listeners can get to know you a little bit more in a different way. So first question, what's something that less than 10% of your work family know about you? How much I love to entertain my friends and family at home. So are you like a chef or is it more parties? What kind of entertaining? It's just more small dinner parties where we play games and I mix up some odd cocktail for those of us who drink and we just cook something. We just mix up a meal and just have a good time. And it just, it warms my heart to do that. Well, that sounds like a lot of fun. What's a recent cocktail that you made that was unique? We made something which was kind of not so wise when we were flying out the next morning. It was lavender liqueur, champagne, and pear vodka. Ooh, that sounds interesting. It was such a mellow, smooth drink that we didn't really realize the impact until the next morning when we had to catch a plane at 8 a.m. Oh, my goodness. Well, that sounds like a lot of fun, though. Did you make it up or was it a recipe? We made it up. <laughs> Just putting some things together in a shaker. Oh, I'm coming to your house next weekend. <laughs> <laughs> Cassandra, if you weren't in the role you're in now and you could do anything else with your career, what would that be? I always wanted to write 
books, like Waiting to Exhale, those kind of fun novel fiction books. That was always my passion. I saw a house in Pala, Hawaii once that I thought that would be my dream house to sit in that window and watch my grandkids play on the beach while I write and listen to music. Well, you've really painted a picture for me. That sounds magical. (laughs) And what's your favorite book? Oh, The Alchemist is by far one of my favorite books of all time. I can read it over and over and over. That's one of my favorite books too, Cassandra. (laughs) Okay, final question. If there was one skill that you were exceptionally great at, what would that be? Making people feel at ease. Stay positive and stay present. I'm Rebecca Metter. Thanks for listening to Moments Move Us. Remember, when you put people first, your actions can move others in unexpected ways. Be sure to follow wherever you get your audio.